Hello and welcome to another episode of the Flatback 3 slash 2. Again, it's just the two of us. It's me, your host, the glue that holds the Flatback 3 together. Toby, I'm joined by Alistair Blackwell this week. Alistair, how are you, my friend? I'm doing really well, mate. Thank you. You are right? Yeah, very well, thanks. I think it's fair to say that we're both sort of doing this podcast whilst casting an eye over the last 20 minutes of the Liverpool game. Um, and that might be why George isn't here. We both put Arsenal to win that on our Super 6. He didn't reply to us thinking that Arsenal were going to win that game. And uh, and all of a sudden, he's not available. What a, what a big shock that is. But um, it's currently at time of recording, 2-2. Um, it's been an entertaining game from everything that I've seen and listened to because I don't have Sky. Um, you've been watching it. What's the game been like? Has it been end-to-end or has it been mostly Arsenal, mostly Liverpool? How's it gone? Um, I'd say Arsenal are probably nabbing it in terms of uh, chances, but Liverpool definitely had a few chances themselves where they um, have kind of you know still been in the game and obviously they conceded really early on. And at the end of the first half, they were definitely on top. But um, yeah, mm. Arsenal had, like I mentioned a minute ago, like Arsenal had a good chance, um, which was cleared off the line. Um, but it's fairly even, to be honest. Okay, as you're so, saying that, as you're saying yeah. that, I've just got an update pop through. Arsenal have got a penalty. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, apparently <laughs> Arsenal have just got a penalty. I'm like probably a minute or two behind on mine, which is annoying. I, I know. Say, so. You're watching it on a stream. Uh, yeah. uh, not not an illegal stream, of course. No. Um, but no. you're watching it on a stream, let's say a river, maybe. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, Thiago's giving away a penalty, apparently. But um, well, who takes the penalties? Well, for you, I would assume Gabriel Jesus. I I would assume it's going to be Shaka, but I don't know. That, but I would think Granite Xhaka stands over a penalty, but I guess Gabriel Jesus is the new number nine. And yeah, I kind of feel like Jesus has taken them recently, but I think I don't remember has... Arsenal. I don't remember Arsenal having a penalty this season. I swear Jesus has been taking them. If uh, maybe I'm... hasn't, I'm just I'm trying to make myself believe that's the case because I want him to get me points for. I was going to say we're only really we're only really suggesting that because it's for the fantasy league. I mean, I want Zinchenko to come off the bench to take the penalty for me oh, to get it. points, but well, I don't. Oh, actually, <laughs> I don't think. He, oh, have you got Zinchenko as well? Actually, no, I won't take that because I haven't got him on in the uh, thingy at the moment. So my team, wow. I have got him, but he's on on the bench. Well, I am. Um... It's Bakayo Saka who stood over it, apparently, which is terrible for us because George has actually got Bakayo Saka. I know, yeah, I've just realised that. The one player that George has actually got points from regularly is Bakayo Saka. Yeah. He'd be so far cut adrift if we didn't have Saka in the team. It's incredible. Um yeah. But as Liverpool are about to take that penalty, obviously it's it's bad again for Liverpool. They've conceded two goals, potentially a third about to go in. Um, mm. Their season's starting to really stutter and they're starting to struggle in all competitions already. What are your like thoughts on the Liverpool situation? Do you think they are set to struggle or do you think that this is just a momentary blip? And it is 3-2, by the way. Saka's just slotted it in. Uh, well, it's... um. You can only say it's a momentary blip for so long, can't you? If it's a couple of games and it seems to have, like, although they're getting some results still, um, 
the I think the common theme which is going on at the moment is the fact that they've played what twelve games and conceded first in ten of them, mm. which is and and early on it seems, and that seems to be quite a big issue for Liverpool at the moment. Um, yeah. And so yeah, you might be able to with good quality players. You're obviously going to be able to recover from that with um, in, against some you know of the lesser teams in the league but um you know as a liverpool fan you would want to mm. be um obviously com- you want to be competing ideally against yeah. that city so you can't be in that situation you've got to be um winning every game really especially at the moment um, yeah but, i mean yeah difficult one but I have got I have got a laugh because my neighbour who lives across from me is a Liverpool fan. He's just stormed out onto his balcony to have a cigarette. So obviously uh, Arsenal have just gone back in front. Oh, but it's wow. Saka again. I mean Liverpool are looking to come back for a third time now in this game. Um, and as like you said, they keep falling behind. Whether it's like first in a game or just consistently in games, like yeah, you know, they. They can't keep going like this. But the one thing that surprises me is that, you know, they've not changed their back line. Yeah, they're missing Andy Robertson today and Simicass is in, but they're not changed their back line. They've yeah. not changed their midfield that much. Yeah. So it's not like they're doing anything that different. Um, and it's not like the tactics will have changed. I think, do you think that Mane not being in that front line and doing that element of pressing is that big a miss? Do you think that he's that important to what Liverpool did last season? Uh, it's a possibility, I suppose. Um, obviously, he's he's one of the main players which has left, have left, and um, and maybe he obviously offered slight different kind of you know a way of approaching the games, and even as an attacker, how he might have um, pressed. Press the player, uh, press the other team, um, mm. where maybe Nunes doesn't do that at the moment. Different style. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a strange one, really. Like it's so funny how you know you take that one player out, and all of a sudden they're you know you can you could almost go like like all of a sudden they're a poor poor team or not mm. as good a team, which it seems that they are. But I definitely think um, you mentioned it already, and I was going to bring it up. Like, I do think like their defense has been a bit kind of, you know, almost on the point of like on the brink of kind of breaking a bit or falling mm. apart. Like, just doesn't seem to be as solid that defense as um as it has been in the past. Like their attack. Yeah. I think you know you, you can yeah I think their attack is still obviously great you look at the players who are in there and they're still getting the goals um like Firmino as well but I don't know I haven't um I don't know what do you think <laughs> yeah it's just a weird one because I don't think that the dynamic of the team has changed that much like taking if you take Mane out and you look at the team that they started with today they started with Salah Nunes Diaz and Jota in the yeah. attack yeah. and you can't turn around and say that that's a bad attacking lineup so you have to wonder whether it's the midfield yeah that's letting them down because it's essentially the same back four that they won the title with Allison yeah. behind it and then Trent Robertson Matip and Van Dyke and I don't think that Matip and Van Dyke have dropped their levels that much obviously we've all 
seen that Trent Alexander-Arnold, for whatever reason, this season is just not doing it defensively. Um, and they have missed Andy Robertson. I think that his intensity down the left-hand side is very different to what Simicast can offer. But Simicast would get into, I think, most mid-table Premier League sides. So it's not like they're playing with a real disadvantage at left back but I think what we're seeing is the disadvantage that Liverpool do have in their midfield in terms of depth so yeah. like as good as Thiago Alcantara is at playing the ball defensively he's just not what I think Liverpool need you look at like when they don't have Fabinho in the team I think yeah. they struggle a lot more to sort of um to de- what's the word I'm looking for command the midfield and to sort of command the game they don't sort of take as much control over the game um, but then when they are playing against the likes of like Brighton last week or when they play the teams like Villa or Forest, who we'll talk about in a minute, you would yeah. want to see Thiago in that team because he's the one that would then be able to really dominate the game for them. But yeah. it's a, it's, I just think it's a really strange dynamic that Liverpool have at the moment in that, you know, you've got Henderson and Thiago starting in that holding role today. Henderson... I think is a fantastic player, but he is basically doing for me to well, like a player and a half job for what they need to do in that position. I think like Thiago, when he played at Bayern Munich and when he was at Barcelona and, you know, we've seen it when Liverpool have had other players in there alongside have just been a lot more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They've just been a lot more unsettled in midfield. And I just think that if you look at the, if you look at the dynamic of the way they play at the minute as well, they're not as intense as they once were. They don't throw themselves at teams like they once did. If you remember a few years ago, not the season they that not the season they won the Champions League, the one before where they got to the final against Real Madrid, um, and obviously the subsequent season. But that season they just blew teams away by running. It was literally like they ran at them as soon as they got the ball. But now I feel like Liverpool turn the ball over and then they sort of try and play, they retain possession and they're just, I think everybody's waiting for Liverpool to become what they were. And I think it's time that we realise that Liverpool can't be that same team again. Everyone's three, four years older and they don't have Sadio Mane anymore. They'll never be the same team, but what they have to do is they have to evolve. I think that's one of the key things. Arsenal have evolved and we've seen that this season, that evolution that's taken place over the last two or three years under Mikel Arteta is really, it's really starting to show. Um, I think Jurgen Klopp, I don't think I, you know, I'm never going to sit here and say Jurgen Klopp should be sacked. That's just absolutely ridiculous, but he really needs to sort of look at and think about a way of getting his team to play. That's different. I don't think you can approach every game the same. And that's for me, the way that I see Liverpool. I think they are just so it sounds weird because I'm criticising a team that almost won the league last season, but I feel like this season they've been very one-dimensional. You know, you bring in Darwin Nunes, who is a hold-up player that will run the channels and is arguably a better option in the air than what you had, but you don't play to his strengths. It's very much, I think, going to turn into one of those Lukaku arguments from last year. But the problem for Nunes is that he's not Lukaku. He's not as big a name, but if you don't play to a player's strengths, then I just think, I just think you shoot him in the foot. And I think that's the same with Thiago a little bit in that he sits in that midfield, but because he's playing the holding role, instead of having a bit of free reign, he's being asked to do things that maybe he wouldn't necessarily normally do. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you're saying about evolving and that. I think Liverpool definitely tried to, with obviously the 
the um, Bayern Nunes and knowing that actually, you know, they obviously knew he was a, wasn't the same player as Mane. Um, he's yeah. been off to a different dimension and and you'd like to think that obviously Klopp knew that and thought, well, like we're going to have to adapt our style of play um, mm. to make it suit Nunes as well, because obviously they bought Nunes to come straight into the team. Really. But then he's not been playing, has he? That's the thing, that Nunes is only, what is this, his third start of the season tonight? Yeah, third. I think so, third start. He's not it? playing loads of games. He scored his first yeah. Premier League goal tonight, so it's not like... I think he scored two, hasn't he? He scored on the first game as well. That was in the Charity Shield. Did he... I swear he scored in the one he got sent off, because... No. Nah. Do you not know? No, he didn't. Oh, okay, maybe not. That was there. Luis Diaz. I remember that game because I watched it when I was on holiday in Cyprus and uh, Philip was ready right. to kill me for watching football. But, um, oh, okay, fair enough. Well, yeah, but like, oh no, he scored against Fulham. He scored against Fulham. Yeah, okay. yeah, he did. He scored against Fulham first game of the season. Oh, I got points from on that first game. Yeah, <laughs> and then since then it's been literally nothing. Yeah. I mean, you get a, you get five for him today. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, so like. Uh, but it, it's always going to be a comparison with City and Liverpool and obviously like the Haaland-Nunes kind of um, thing. And, and obviously Haaland, again, you know, um, he's he's just adapted a lot quicker as well. And, and he could, you know, even though he's that bigger player and he's probably, when you look at Darwin-Nunes and Erling Haaland, like um, size-wise, they're a lot bigger than what they have had, like taller players, uh, more kind of um, you know uh, like players you can hit powerful um, yeah powerful players exactly all of those and and uh, target players um, yeah. but Haaland is like he's just shown this ability to um, be this big player who can still run you know like run past player run through defences he can yeah the movement is phenomenal um, thing is though like the thing is with that, like that argument, and I don't mean to interject, I just feel like I want to say this before I forget it. Um, that argument and like that com- that comparison that was happening all summer, I just con- I always felt was a misplaced comparison because they're just they're not the same player. Just because Liverpool and Man City both signed a number nine mm. doesn't mean that they can necessarily be compared. And the reason I say that is because. I would put Haaland on the same in the same bracket as Mbappe. Yeah. Like I think I think he's a generational talent. Nunes isn't that. Like Nunes is not a generational talent. He's not ever for me like watching him play and I watched him a little bit last year as you know. I don't think he's ever going to go on and be one of the best strikers in the world. Yeah. No matter what team you put him in. Whereas Erling Haaland was one of the best strikers in the world at Borussia Dortmund and you've gone and put him in the best team in the world, he always score goals. I'm sure that if Nunes was playing for City, he would do better, but I still don't think he'd be as good as Haaland is now. And that's because they're not comparable. It's like taking, it's like comparing Thiago and Kevin De Bruyne. They're just absolutely different levels of player. Yeah. They are just not the same player. It's um it's one of those things whereas I, I completely get some comparisons with players like Neymar versus Mbappe is a is or unlike Messi Ronaldo is 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 a perfect example because Messi Ronaldo, they are the two best players in the world. Yeah. Whereas Erling Haaland is the yeah. best number nine in the world. Yeah. Nunes That's is not. Fair That's fair enough. I, I mean like 
I would put Nunes. Oh, and this is a bit harsh on him. Maybe. But, I mean, he's he's only had what twelve games in the Premier League, most of them off the bench. But I'd put him like in a Europa League team. The way he plays at the moment, I don't think he's a Liverpool player. But I, I and I'm a bit confused as well. Just to talk about like that Liverpool dynamic. Why they don't play Salah through the middle? They did it loads last season when Salah, you know, should have been playing on the wing. Arguably, they played him through the middle. Yeah. This season, they're like reluctant to put him in there. Yeah. And he's not having any impact on games at the minute. Salah, he's been an absolute shadow of himself. I think Liverpool come lucky to be fourth this season, the way they're playing. Yeah. Um Let's flip the conversation onto a more positive. I mean, Arsenal have been absolutely sensational so far this season. Um, are they title contenders or are they a flash in the pan at the moment that will sort of uh, fade away as the season progresses? I think... Um, I don't think they're title contenders, personally. Um, and I what think... makes you think that? What makes you think that? I mean, I can make it easy and just say the addition of Haaland. In terms mm. of the city, which I think, in some respects, is fair, just by their goal, the goals scored, and and he's actually like the player he is, and how, you know, he's uh, just ridiculous. Like he's ridiculous. Yeah, but um, but actually, you know, you look at like De Bruyne is still on it, Foden's mm. up his game, um, oh. and and you know, and I just think actually like. Even without Haaland in that team, I still think City would still be doing just as, like, you know, maybe not quite as well in terms of goals scored. They've averaged over three or four goals a game throughout the whole season, but they'd still be winning the games. Defensively, they're still solid. And It's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, if, you know, you said, like, you think City would be doing as well without Haaland, mm. um, Arsenal wouldn't be because Haaland like pushed Gabriel Jesus out the door. Yeah. And the impact that Jesus has had on on Arsenal is just, you know, it's it's clear as day. It's very easy to see. He's been absolutely fantastic. And there was all, you know, everyone could always see that there was a player there, but he's gone on to do some fantastic stuff this season. But without Haaland, do you have Jesus to City? Probably, uh, to Arsenal? Probably not. Um yeah. Yeah. So if you think about it, Erling Haaland's changed everything for everybody, really. Yeah. yeah, and I just think with Arsenal, they've definitely got better. Clear, clear to see that. Um, and but but actually, oh, yeah. uh, I thought there was another goal then. Um, but actually, like um, City, just they're just another level. You know, you just cannot. I think for for anyone to say that City aren't the favourites. For the league is just absurd, really, because yeah. I just can't see the weaknesses in that team at the moment. Um, no. but with Arsenal, there's still moments you know they they lost United, and still moments when they're not quite making the the right decisions in the right games or in the, in the important games. And yeah, it's early on in the season, but you know you mean you go as you mean to go on. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, City are clear, clear as day. Just they're just they're, they're top of the league, and they're just going. Yeah, well, obviously, Arsenal go top of the league. With well, Arsenal, yeah, back to the top tonight, yeah. But I just don't see City slipping up at all, and Arsenal in some of the games. 
I might I might be completely wrong. I mean, look, like the they're beating Liverpool, probably beating Liverpool tonight. Um yeah. so you know, a game where they've still got a they've still got to win it. Um and when it comes to the real test, I suppose it'll be when it comes to like City and Tottenham. Did they but- did they Tottenham or did they lose? They beat them. They beat they beat Spurs last week. So they're on a you know, they're on a good trajectory. The thing that I I I'm unsure. I think they are gonna be the closest contenders to City this season, but I think City will win it. Um I think that Arsenal are gonna just be the best of the rest. I think that you know, like you said, they lost to United. I think that Arsenal I don't know. I just I feel like Arsenal will lose games that City won't, and I don't know how I'm. I feel like Arsenal will struggle when they go to Liverpool, when they go to Spurs. Yeah. But I just like when I I'm like Liverpool plays City at Anfield next week. I think City are going to roll over Liverpool. I think it's going to be like three or four one. Yeah. I think they're going to. I think they're going to roll over them next week. So it's just one of those things that you've got to sort of see. Like you said, it like Arsenal City this season is going to be an incredible game, especially because Arsenal are basically uh, what's the best way to say it? Because they're not like bargain bucket Man City, but what are they? They're like it's like Tesco and ASDA, isn't it? Like is one one is if arguably slightly better than the other, but it's down to personal preference. But they basically play the same football. What so it's all about. City and City and Arsenal, they're basically the same team in terms of the way they play and the way that they yeah. set up. Um, it's going to be very much down to who performs best on the day. But I just feel like when I watch Man City, they will win any game that they're in. I just think that they're that good that I have no doubt they'll win a game. Like last season and the last day of the season, they were 2-0 down to Villa at half time. And I said to you guys, and I stand by this and I like swear on my life, I at no point thought City would lose that game. Yeah, I was always like they'll come back, and like yeah. they went, you know, like even this season. And I know they only drew, but they they were three one down to Newcastle. Yeah, with twenty minutes to go, and salvaged a three all draw. And I yeah. just don't know whether this Arsenal team pulls themselves back from a two goal deficit. Yeah. yeah, but we'll see. You know, there's a couple of minutes left of the Liverpool game right now. It's still on go. I think they're in the last minute of added time. So we'll we'll obviously update things as they finish and as they go. Um, but let's talk about obviously your team. Villa go to Nottingham Forest. I think you're away or are you at home? You're away. Um, I don't know actually. I think we're home, aren't we? Huge fan of his team. He has no idea. No, I do. Come on. I know that we're home. Away. Right, you're away. I just had a look. So yeah. we're Villa, home in the second leg. <laughs> in the second leg in the second half of the season. Yeah, exactly. Um Villa go to Forest tomorrow night. Forest are on a on a really poor run of form. They're on something of a downward spiral. Um but they've shown some form of faith and solidarity this week. They've given their manager a new deal. So he's now on a five year deal. I think it was an extension to his existing deal. Um do you think like in this situation where they're losing a lot of games that that's a really good thing to do or do you think that's misplaced um loyalty? Um I think it's probably the right thing to do. Um I'd say it's so easy to see results going your way, uh, going against you so early on, um, and 
and go into panic mode or do the, the normal thing, which seems to be a thing in the Premier League and sack the manager and bring someone else in. But I don't think realistically it, it gets you any better. Um, and I think, you know, I remember hearing this the other day, actually, and I thought it was a really good point. Like, Nottingham Forest haven't been in the Premier League for, what, 20-something years. 20 years or something? I 28 years? 28 years. Okay, so 28 years. Like, they're in the Premier League. They've gone and spent a load of money on players. Give them time. Um, but also, like, I still think that they should they should stick with Steve Cooper for the season. If they stay up, great. If they, if they don't, go down, keep him. <clears throat> Because he's still gonna, they've got the parachute mate payment. That's still, you know, they're still gonna get that. So still have in, the squad that they've built this yeah, season. They still have the squads, they still have all the like all of the payments and that, and um, and this they they'll be in a better position, both the team, the players, and the manager, for going forward to then go up again, mm. hopefully for them, um, with more experience. In the whole squad and the the, man, the the coaching staff as well, and um, and I just think that's a better position to be in, even if you go down as Forest, because uh, you know, unfortunately, play, teams have got to go down, three teams, um, yeah. and realistically, at the moment, it looks like they're going to be one of the teams to go down, but they'll be better off in the long run. And if they ended up being, you know, for two, one or two seasons or two or three seasons, the yo-yo team which goes up and down, and up and down, they're still going to be better off than. Yeah. Didn't and I think if they they just if they sacked if they did have if they had had sacked Cooper and just gone like who do you go with do you go for a rapid well, that's it. or do you go for you know like God knows who else like there's no one out there anyway that's that's the big talented. I think that's the biggest point to this is that like if you are going to sack a manager who's brought you up for the first time in 28 30 years whatever it is yeah. um you have to have someone as a backup and yeah. I just think you look at the state of things at the moment and just think well who do you bring in because in my opinion Rafa Benitez is a terrible manager yeah. he's a terrible fit for a club like Forest that want to play expansive football and want to be a, a positive Premier League team rather than a negative Premier League team yeah. we know what Rafa Benitez's football looks like um, he would have been an awful appointment and I think that um you know, to sack Cooper, I completely agree. Like, you would be in a much better position if you just stuck with him, no matter what happens this season. You go down, you are likely to be in and around it the next season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you become a yo-yo club, like you said, for a couple of years. And that's not necessarily the worst thing. But if you, you know, if you yo-yo a couple of times, every club sort of below, I'd say, what, below the top eight have yo-yoed at some point? Yeah. So everyone or like everyone at some point becomes established yeah and it's it's maintaining that establishment you know burnley were in yeah. the premier league for what five six years before this year like the, that last year's relegation um you know fulham had been in the premier league for a long long time before they obviously became a yo-yo club but even now they look like they might have a good chance of staying up this season um and then Who's it? Oh, my neighbour's just come back out and he's now not got his Liverpool shirt on because the whistle's just gone and they've obviously <laughs> lost 3 2. So that was a, a quick transition for him. Um, the He's wearing a different shirt, thank Christ. But um, 
Huh? Arsenal shirt? Yeah, with a half and half scarf. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I just think like it's the best decision for for the club. And also, I, I feel like it's a confidence booster for everyone there, like especially yeah. the the manager himself to know that if um, results continue to go against us, the manager has the backing of the board and the players can't think, well, we'll just down tools and, yeah. um, you know, stop playing for him because they can't just outlive him because he's going to be there for the long haul, it seems. And it also, it sends the right message in terms of how you've got to respond when things aren't going your way. If yeah. they, If the owner just sacked the manager and decided to get someone else as a player, like I could imagine immediately you think, well, he's just trying to, you know, buy his way out. Like what that, you know, that could make you think, well, clearly, well, I'm not going to be here for long, or maybe I might be moved out, you know, sooner rather than later, or, or maybe I could do the same and I'll just be like, right, well, if I'm playing well and I'm in this team and they're doing rubbish, then actually I know that I'm probably going to be in the Premier League with another team next year, so I won't have to worry as much. And and maybe all those things as well send the wrong message. So actually sticking with Cooper means that mm. actually like the loyalty is there in the club overall, and it might just send the right kind of vibe around the place. Um, yeah, I mean. I'd hate to be the team that plays them next. And unfortunately, it's it's Villa. So do you think, oh, like, obviously you guys, what are you on an unbeaten run of three games now, including a nil-nil against Leeds the last time out? Um, what do you think? Do you think you go there and do well? Do you think that they have a bit of a bounce because of this and the the fact that they played, who did they recently, oh, who have they last played? Less I can't think was it Leicester they got absolutely hammered by? Yeah. And um, there has to be some sort of response from that. So do you think that, like, how do you see tomorrow's game going? Because Villa haven't been great this season. We're not going to sort of yeah. wrap that up as something that isn't, yeah. you know, isn't a positive. Like, how do you see it going? Do you think that you're turning a corner or do you think actually things have just eased off a little bit? Um, I can't really, I don't think I'd say we've turned a corner. Like, I'm always very, like, cautious over things like that because it's every season you know I'm sure for any other team any other fan in every any other team it's the same or similar but like for Villa it seems like for the last two or three seasons it's going to be the season when we do well because we've spent the money on allegedly good players and we've got a no like a good manager in and like they've had a had a season to bed themselves in and this and that and never seems to happen um and I just don't, like, even if we get a little bit of a run of form now, I just don't see that being a turning point. Like, you could have said, what, two, three seasons ago, that the turn in, the big turning point for us could have been the 7-2 against Liverpool and we would have gone mm-hmm. and, you know, completely, like, upped our game from that point onwards. But we didn't, um, really. And, yeah. um, and, and so I, I look at things like that and I just... It's difficult, but in terms of going into this game, again, like you, it's the best time to play them because they're on a run of five losses and they've just gone and lost 4-0. So it's like, you know, on the one side, you could say, well, it's a great time to play them. But on the other side, they've just got a thrashing. So they want a bit of a, like, redeem ourselves. But also their manager's got a new contract, so he's going to be feeling good. And, and, and they're so- at the city ground. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so all of that's those one of the key factors, really, is that they're at home. Those things go against us, and and so actually, it's like, I, I, regardless of whether it's a good time or bad time to play them, um, if we get a result tomorrow, I see it being a scrappy result and not something very confidence boost in any way. Uh, yeah, it'll be tough. the reality of like for for me as a Villa fan, that seems to be the reality of like. We could get we could get results, but it's not convincing, and it doesn't feel like there's anything changing, and and that's like that's it. Um, where it's frustrating when you see a team like Newcastle, who yeah. just straight away gotten into their stride, and they're already this new look team, and uh, and and it's just happened so quickly that mm. um, it seems you know a bit drab and, and kind of down. Really, I have a. I have a question for you off of a comment that you made. Who's an allegedly good player that you signed? Well, yeah. Leon Bailey? Uh, the, the two which I thought of straight away, like Bailey, Buendia. Um, yeah. you know, good on paper. Obviously, but... the, 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 the price tag puts that up a bit because you think, mm. oh, we've spent a good amount of money on these players. And well, you go those two, definitely. They've underperformed a bit. Um, I could say maybe like um, Bertrand Traore when he was there a bit as well. Um, Coutinho's kind of yeah, gone know, off the boil. Yeah, exactly. And and then just say other players like Douglas Louise, I always think like so much potential, but just never really finds that consistency. John McGinn, again, another player who's there one game and not there for three others. And Ollie Watkins can't score a goal oh. to save his life at the moment. And yeah. you think like all the, the these players, like the, the potential you'd just like to think is there. You know, I mean, I, I don't think happening I, with any of these players. I don't think you're going to get relegated. I certainly don't think you'll be anywhere near relegation. I think you'll be absolutely fine in that regard. Yeah. Um, one of the things that worries me for Villa is that, like you said, you're spending money and you're not going anywhere. That's the problem. I think if you're, there's a real balance in this discussion in that, obviously, like we talked about, Nottingham Forest have spent lots and lots of money. Fulham spent a decent amount when they came up as well. Obviously, a couple of seasons ago is a lot more than this time, but they've spent money again. And, um, you know, clubs spend money because they have to spend money. And then you've got Newcastle who have got newfound wealth and they've spent money because they've got it and because they want to take the next step. And like you said, they want to take the next step and they are taking the next step. Whereas Villa are spending money and aren't really going anywhere. And that's a problem because the clubs that you're sort of competing with at the minute are the likes of Southampton and Villa, um, sorry, Southampton and, um, Oh, see, I've made a mistake and I can't remember what I'm trying to say. Who's who's Leicester? So you've got Southampton and Leicester, and these teams are the teams that you're trying to go above or you're competing with to climb up that mid-table ranking. But actually, they're not spending anywhere near as much as you. And that I think that in is yeah. where the problem lies, especially yeah. because um you've got what like Ben Buendia and Bailey. Um, and Gerard doesn't really play with wingers. Well, exactly, and it, it's it's a strange one. Like, um, like you look at the the club have clearly got the ambition to take the next step. They want to take the next step, and obviously, again, obviously, every team wants to take the next step. Yeah. But you know, I can only go from my perspective with Villa, and like they have 
come out and clearly said like they want to be competing in the next x amount of few years in europe and that's their that's their kind of big challenge and they they're they're putting the things in place to do that mm. they're spending the money and i think i mentioned it once or twice before like i think probably before this summer we've spent the net we we had a net spend of more uh, more on transfers than anyone else in Europe in the last like three, four years. Yeah. And so we've clearly tried to spend the money on the right players. Maybe mm. the recruitment's wrong. Um, I think that's it. I think at some point you've got to have a look inward. Like you, yeah. like we don't know how to run a football club, but from a, from an ex, um, from like an outside perspective and people, you know, like we've both worked in the game. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend we have no idea what goes on. We've both worked in professional football. We know what, the inside of a football club looks like and I think at some point you have to look inwards at Villa and say our recruitment must be bad because you can't sign like you said as many players as you have signed and have this poor an output I would say like in the let's say since you came back into the Prem and started surviving so what's that three seasons now four three or four so I'd say that you've probably made two great signings in that time and yeah. that's not that's not good, is it? Like you can't have a conversion rate of two, um, and I, and I think the players that I would say are those really good signings. One of them is obviously Emiliano Martinez. He's been absolute, although his form is not as good as it was, but he's still a fantastic player for the club that you are. Without like being offensive, um, and for me, the other one's Matty Cash. Like you signed him first season when you came into the Prem. Um, yeah, and the the fact that oh, Matty Cash is from Forest, wasn't it? From Forest, yeah. And the fact that he's maintained his place in the team despite the money that you've spent and despite the journey yeah. that you're trying to go on, um, I think is a credit to him specifically. Like he's a fantastic player, and he's, I think he could play at a higher level. No offense again, but he's obviously pushed into the Polish national team. He starts in the Polish team every time they play now. So yeah. you got to look at him and think he's a great. But then other than that, like. Like yeah. you said, Douglas Louise hasn't really done that much. You've got Bailey, Buendia, Traore, Ings, Watkins. Um, it's frustrating because as well, like, again, another thing they've come out and said is like they want to push for Europe sooner, but their plan is still a five, ten-year plan in place. So they're setting that up. And, and again, you can see that behind the scenes in terms of the academy and the players they're bringing in. They're, they're recruiting the academy significantly like there are players coming in all over the like you but then on that i just just on that point really quickly you've then got to keep hold of them you can't lose players like carney chukwamika's chelsea that was that was a tough situation i mean again from what you from what we've heard from that he was demanding over 100 grand a week and for a, a youngster of 18 years to be demanding 100 grand a week when he'd been when he had maybe made six maybe like 10 Premier League games not all starts and not scored a goal or assisted and there was only two other players in that Villa team who were on more than 100 grand a, a week um I completely he, get where you're coming from I I think but, my argument would be at some point if you're building for the future and your future is going to be built around these players, you have to sort of give in to their demands at some point. I think it's an absolutely absurd demand if that's true. Um, 
But then but do you sacrifice I... that for the rest of the team where, you know, if you if you put that player on 100 grand a week, then what what kind of message does that send out to all the players well, exactly. That's already the... and all the other youth players? That's they, it. That's... You know, well, if he's only played five games or 10 games and done nothing and he's getting 100 grand a week, fucking hell, like, I'm going to be on that if, if I score a goal at least. So, Mate, but then here's the thing is... A team like Chelsea come in and offer us 20 million, I think... But that's the it, thing, like, now yeah. youngsters will think, right... Um, this and that's the balance, and that's why there are people in football clubs that get paid way more money than me and you do to do our jobs. Um, you have to be able to strike a balance and agree these deals because, yeah, I completely agree with you. The the the, the amount that he's suggesting he should be paid is absolutely absurd, and I don't think he's as good a player as that demand. Um, but if you want to keep your players in the academy and you want to build from your academy, you sort of have to find. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You have to find a level playing field. You have to find an area where you can pay the player more than they need, but keep a hold of them. Because now you've got academy players that are like, well, if I'm not going to get what I want here, I can try and get a move to Chelsea or Liverpool or anyone else like that. So there's the opportunity for them to just sort of give up their Villa contract in order to try and force to move to Chelsea. So we are going to move on from uh, Aston Villa to watch this amazing moment. So if you're watching on YouTube, this is something you can easily find in the shorts. But this is the last, last minute equaliser for Borussia Dortmund yesterday, coming from Anthony Modeste with his first goal for Borussia Dortmund. Um, so I've screen shared the clip that I found for Alistair. Alistair's not seen it yet. Um, this is just going to be a very short section that we focus on to just have a look at like what amazing moments we still get in football not just in the Premier League um, so Bayern Munich led with um, I think on the clock there was literally one second left as they hit the back of the net so this is the last moment of the Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich de Classica yesterday he's kept it in maybe a chance I mean, it might be one of the best things that I've ever seen on a football pitch, especially because, and if you don't know, I don't I don't blame you for not knowing, Anthony Modeste used to play for Blackburn Rovers, um, is like 33, 34 years old. They signed him from Cologne this summer for I don't know how much. Um, that's just like, that's just such a feel-good story. That was his first goal for Borussia Dortmund as well. Um, and you can see like the smiles on our faces as you see that hit the back of the net. But yeah, that's pretty special, that isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Like it's always great when you still got those games and they live up to the expectations. Um, sometimes you look at like you look at some kind of big games against two big teams and that, and that don't quite live up to the expectations and a bit of a drab and nil nils but that was great like two nil down come back from that to draw two two <clears throat> awesome yeah so, incredible yeah. like incredible and the fact that he's a 34 year old they've only brought him in for a year contract because sebastian allaire is um is out because he's um he's suffering from cancer i believe um 
So obviously Alaire's out, so they've brought Modeste in to replace him on a shorter term contract. It's absolutely incredible. Like I absolutely love that moment. And like the commentator says, right in front of the yellow wall as well. It couldn't you couldn't write a better story than that. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Um, I think one more thing we were going to focus on. Obviously, we are a little bit short for time, so we're going to move past the um the Borussia Dortmund's um the Borussia Dortmund equalizer to just sort of talk about um just in general, the way that the football season is rolling out at the moment. And one thing that I really have having sort of enjoyed this season is that this is probably, for me, and I want to see if you agree with this statement, the most unpredictable um, season I can remember outside of who's the favourite for the title. I'd say... Are we talking about the whole table or just whole table? I don't think that there's anyone that's clearly going to go down. I don't think there's anyone that's clearly going to finish in the top four. And I don't think there's anyone that's absolutely guaranteed to be safe and finish dead mid table. Yeah, I think definitely agree with that in terms of, you know, the whole table you look at and you, if you predicted it at the start of the season, like where it would be at the moment, like I wouldn't put, you know, half the teams, if not more, in the positions they are, um, quite probably quite drastically to a certain extent. Like, you see Fulham and Bournemouth up half, you know, well up, up to the top table, um, Leicester down, um, West Ham, I think, obviously won, but... Um, yeah, they're sort of mid-table again now, but yeah. Southampton... I think Southampton's the only one for me. I, I've yeah, said for... Well up there, like, I knew they were a good team, but obviously, you know just doing really well at the moment and mm-hmm. um, and Liverpool in not as not such a good position and intense it's quite a, yeah it, I think yeah for me I'm like I'm enjoying the fact that it's a really open season like that there's a lot of flexibility and what can and will happen yeah. um I think like you're looking at you've mentioned already like Newcastle you mentioned a second ago West Ham you yeah. sort of expect them to be challenging for that sort of seventh spot for that European place in the Conference League. But, you know, it's worth remembering, obviously, that we're only like, what is it, 10 games in as of today? So there's a long way to go, but you never know what's going to happen this season. The way that it started, like you could see Villa have this massive resurrection. You could see Leicester fly up the table. Like Bournemouth have had a great start to the season, yeah. really, since Parker left. So, I just think it's great this season. Obviously, we've talked about City are the clear favourites for the title, but there's also the dynamic of what's happening at Chelsea under um, under Graham Potter. They've had a decent start. They've obviously um, won their last couple of Premier League games under him. They are starting to really find their feet. Tottenham, I've had the long belief this season that they're going to win a trophy and they'll do OK in the league as well. Um and then you've got the others that you sort of forget about, I guess. Like you mentioned, like you've got your West Ham's, you've got your Newcastle's, and it'll be interesting. I think I'm going to take a little victory lap myself very quickly and uh, and just say, I did say, and correct me if I'm wrong, I did say that Gianluca Scamacca would do well when he arrived from Sassuolo for West Ham, and he's gone and scored a second in two games and a third in a week for them. So yeah, I, I have considered actually putting him in my team. Um, I did have him in, but then because Moyes was sort of benching him to introduce him to the league, I took him out. But I'm also in the thought of maybe putting him back in, depending on who they've got, because 
he's a great striker, like, and he's perfect for West Ham. He's an absolute unit. He's very strong, but he's absolutely superb in front of goal. I really, really like him. And um, as I say, three goals in a week for him as well. So a really good conversion rate that he's starting to pick up. The um, I guess the last thing we can focus on really quickly is the the fantasy Premier League. Me and you coming into this week were well clear of George. I think we maintain yeah. that level of clearness, but George has got exactly. very lucky today with um with Bukaya Saka getting a couple of goals. We um Deuce as well he's he's got him some double captain points so he got an assist surprisingly. Oh my god. So George has actually picked up 49 points so far. Has he got anyone left to play? No he hasn't. Yeah. So although he's 70 points behind still apparently so yeah. Think, yeah. 49 points. I still he's got 49 total though. I've got 41 with two players to play yet. Yeah, I've got Buendia, so maybe he'll do something, but you might get five, six points if he gets a goal or an assist. I've got Anthony Gordon who's playing against Man United, literally just kicked off. So we're going to go so that we can watch that game in a minute. And then I've got Nico Williams, who's obviously playing for Nottingham Forest against your Aston Villa. Yeah. Um so I'm really interested to see how those those play out. But yeah. obviously the loser of this is going to do some form of forfeit, um, potentially shirt-related. Obviously you're wearing your Birmingham shirt today. But yeah. what's your what's your approach to it? Do you have an approach or do you just sort of pick a team each week and just hope? Because I know that George, and we can say it while he's not here and sort of laugh about it, is that he puts loads of effort into picking his team. Um, he even looks at like, because the Premier League website does like this fixture difficulty rating. Yeah. He like looks at that. He looks at the upcoming fixtures to pick his team and he's 70 points behind us. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, what do you, do you have an approach or do you just pick a team? I just pick a team. Yeah, I mean, I did. Uh, I think maybe I'm possibly get into the point where I might start overanalyzing like George and maybe that's where I'll <laughs> go wrong because I actually saw today the the difficulty rating of teams and I thought oh that's handy to have um but, so, but, but is it though that's the thing well that's is it? it is it really it's one of those like it probably isn't um but I think... they probably like if you think about it they probably had like um What's it? What was I going to say? They they probably had like Liverpool Brighton last week as an example to be an easy game for Liverpool and ended up drawing it. So yeah, well, I don't know how much you can really take into account what those ratings are. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah. it's I think it's made this season a little bit more interesting for me. I think last season there were times where I would sort of get bored of the Premier League. I think I said that on the podcast a couple of times that I just wasn't that into the Premier League and I was watching yeah. a lot more Italian and French football. Um, this season I've watched more Premier League and I've dropped off on my interest in French and Italian because I've got the fantasy Premier League that sort of forces yeah. me to have a look at the results more often. Like we were in the car on the way back from Bristol during the two o'clock kickoffs earlier and I was like, oh, I've got to see how many points I'm getting. I've got, I don't know how many points I'm going to get for this player and this player. And yeah. it just makes it a little bit more exciting. I So I um, obviously when Arsenal were playing earlier and Gabriel Jesus went down, and they said, oh, it's not looking good. It's quite disturbing and this and that. I was like, obviously, you know. You want him to get up. <laughs> your thoughts were like, oh, it should be. Oh, I hope the player's well or that. But I, straight away, I was thinking, 
oh shit, I've just done a transfer. I'm not going to be able to take him out for the next week. And it's also <laughs> the thing, like, you you genuinely stress about it as well. Like, I'm, I've am i had Salah in since week one, yeah, and yeah. I want to take him out. I've wanted to take him out for, like, three or four weeks, yeah. but I feel like as soon as he comes out of my team, he's going to score. Yeah, so it's literally you're holding him back based on that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take him out this week, I think. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my free hit this week. You know, the thing yeah. where you get one week where you can change a whole team. I yeah. think I'm going to do that um, and take Salah out. And then I've got the option of him being back in, but I can transfer him out if I want to. So Who else might I think, you I don't know. I haven't really yeah. looked at the midfield yeah. that much because yeah. um, I, do, I do take into account how many points they've got so far. Um, off the top of my head, midfielders that I'd look to put in, I would probably say someone from. I'd probably put in Martin Odegaard. I think off the top of my head, I would say someone from a team in the top six. Um, Hoybier does quite well for Spurs as well. Um, so there are a couple of players, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it's, Madison. Uh, it's James Madison. Madison's a great shout, actually, especially the form that he's in at the minute. But again, it depends on who Leicester are playing because he's literally the only one in the Leicester team who's turning up at the minute. Yeah. Um, started getting a couple of goals as well, to be fair. Yeah. Might get a bit of a run. <laughs> we'll see, won't we? But anyway, this has been the flat back three. That was our little... Uh, debate over how we approach our fantasy league teams let us know obviously in the comments on youtube and instagram and things like that how you set your fantasy league teams up if you do um everton have just taken the lead i'm watching it on my phone as we're talking alex awobi's just curled in an absolute beauty in the fifth minute for everton so everton lead man united one nil after five minutes i don't know if anthony gordon got an assist because that would help me something incredible but um yeah, Everton lead 1-0. Obviously, don't forget, like, share, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube. We will obviously be back next week with another episode where we're hopefully going to have three of us and we're going to be doing a, uh, a World Cup preview, which will be really interesting as well. So obviously, don't, like I said, don't forget, like, share, subscribe, get in touch with us if you've got any thoughts about anything we've talked about this week. And don't forget to set up your fantasy Premier League teams to be better than George. Alistair, it's been a pleasure as always. Everton lead Man United. Have a great rest of the weekend and we will see you soon.